Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spesh. Hey, hello. What's happening, Derek? Not much, man. It's been a good week. Yeah, it's relaxing. been fast. Yeah, I've been, it was, uh, well, it's it's been fast because it was shortened. Yeah. But unfortunately, like, yeah, yeah, it was a long weekend, but uh, unfortunately, uh, couldn't go camping. So. I got a lot of uh, stuff done around the house, though. Yeah, we did too. We did too. We, we did a lot of more yard work and started cleaning up, so doing spring cleaning and stuff like that. So, you know, I get, uh, you know, the typical stuff, getting stuff on the go and my garden's coming up really nicely. Oh yeah? Like I, I've planted, it's, it's, it's only 12 foot, it's 12 feet square, right? Mm-hmm. 12 feet per side and uh, it's very high density growing format. Everything is really close together, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's come along really good. Every, pretty much everything has sprouted now. Cool. Yeah. Very So exciting. everything's going to be all ready to go by the time fall comes. Yeah. You can do a giant harvest and go on like a 10-day canoe trip. Yeah. Yeah. All with fresh vegetables. Exactly. That's because awesome. We've, we've got uh, potatoes and garlic and corn and uh, peas and cabbage and Brussels sprouts and carrots and broccoli. It's, it's so all You got there. pumpkins? Yes, pumpkins. See, you can do a whole Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Was, absolutely. There yeah. you go, buddy. There you go. Get yourself a turkey. So, you know, you're not, uh, between you and me, there's that place, Lynn Shore. Yeah. They, you always see like a, a dozen turkeys wobbling through there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Well, we do have rabbits in the backyard, so I could get myself a rabbit. And you got squirrels. We could, yeah, put and on a big some feed. morning doves. Yeah. So little mini turkeys. Yeah. Yeah, like Cornish hens or whatever they're called. Yeah. Squab. <laughs> Squab. Quails. Yeah. <laughs> Cornish hens, quails. Yeah. Yeah. One of each. Back to earth. Back wow. to basics. Yeah, we uh, we're we're actually uh, going to be tearing out our backyard and resodding and oh yeah and everything. Yeah, putting in a garden back there. See what happens. Nice. Tracy uh, Ariana wants to do a uh, flower garden for mm-hmm. for bees and such. Oh okay yeah 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 a butterfly garden. No, a bee garden. A bee garden. <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> I guess butterflies will show up to it, but yeah, they'll get their butts handed to them on a plate by the bees. <laughs> a big fight out back. <laughs> um, we have a ton of birds. Oh, yeah? Because we got the bird feeders out front and stuff. Oh, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. My uh, little contraption I built there to catch bird seed. Yeah, how's that working out? It's gone. What? Apparently, we have a rather aggressive, violent raccoon. Oh, and he just rips apart? He's kicked it over a few times, knocked it over a few times, and he started ripping holes in it. Huh. So I said, okay, enough of that. Yeah. So all these birds now have to go on the ground and get their seeds and yeah. hunt for them in the grass instead of <laughs> just sitting there and mowing yeah, down. exactly. We got some fat birds. <laughs> I, uh, well, one thing is we get the grackles, right? You get the starlings, the grackles, yep. the cardinals and stuff like that, all these little birds. A grackle with a white tail. Oh, yeah. Huh. Uh, it it looked like, almost looked like a magpie. Yeah. But uh, apparently it happens. It's rare, but it, it does happen. So we saw one of those. I got an app on my phone, uh, one of the nature ID apps for birds. Okay. So you basically hit record and it records the bird that's calling and IDs it with a little percentage. This is 64% chance this is a common house sparrow. Or, yeah. 95% chance this is a robin or, or whatever. I'm looking at this cardinal in my tree and it's going to town. Yeah. So I point and I hit record. Oh, that's a 90% chance of being a northern mockingbird. Huh. No. <laughs> so I did it again. Uh, it, I, I don't know if it's just what the deal is, but... Even robins. I saw robins. Oh, that's another northern mockingbird. <laughs> um, and at one point, I don't know what the bird was, but apparently it was a loon. Oh, wow. I had a loon in my backyard. So it's not a very accurate app. I would say not. <laughs> so I went back. I deleted it. Then I went back into the app store and gave it a one star. <laughs> because, yeah, not very accurate. Yeah. Um, I am no... I'm, I mean, I'm not far from the lake, like a 10-minute drive. Yeah. But I'm not so close that the loons are mistakenly jumping and landing in my yard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. None of my neighbors have swimming pools. Yeah. So it's not like they've mistaken a swimming pool yeah. for a body of water because <laughs> they were tired. 
Uh, I have no reason to have a loon in my backyard, so yeah, I deleted it, and I'm no longer using that app. <laughs> so now I'm still just guessing with the birds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ajax has implemented this new parking thing. Ah, yes. Right? So anybody that wants to go down to uh, one of the lakeshore parking lots and launch their, their boats from there, be it canoe, kayak, stand-up paddleboard, whatever, 20 bucks to park now. Unless you are a resident, a resident, but you have to register, register your license, get plate. a permit for yeah. it, so that when they're going by doing their little checks, you don't get a fine. Yeah. Do you know what the fine 20 is? Twenty bucks. No, no. I just think it's stupid all around. Yeah. Uh, Twenty bucks is a bit exorbitant. It's pretty steep if you're Especially just going to go for a couple hours paddle. Yeah. Well, you know what? Even people wanting to use the park or, or they have the the. Part of the Trans Canada Trail goes by. Okay. That Lakeshore walking trail. Yeah. Um, so that that goes for like miles in both directions. And there's a lot of people that use that for biking or walking, that sort of stuff every day. Yeah. So now if you're, if you want to come into town, launch from there and bike either way or something, no go. Hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. And if you, I mean, we have friends that want to come out. And hey, let's go launch at Rotary Park for the day and we'll go up Duffins Creek, maybe go down to Lake Ontario. They've now got to come to my house so I can put their boats on my <laughs> shuttle everybody vehicles down. and shuttle everybody down. Yeah. Like that's just Yeah, it's stupid. a pain in the butt. Yeah, it if is. you get it together is. with a whole bunch of people and huh. Yeah. Yeah. So uh I got my permits for that now, both vehicles. So we can take like four or five boats down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is turtle egg laying season. Yes, it is. Yes. So, I mean, there, there's still people out on the roads. When do they hatch? Of, when they're done. Because <laughs> <laughs> right now they're just digging the holes. So you, yeah. you're going to see the, the mama turtles out. And I assume probably about a month you'll see the the parade of babies heading down to the water. Down to the water, yeah. Uh, all I know is right now you're going to start seeing them all on the roads. So mm-hmm. when you're backcountry driving yeah keep your eyes out and uh you know if you see one um there was an article i never got back to finish reading it but something about some of the turtles make a big semi-circle turnaround so you know the whole rule of thumb was if you see the turtle heading across the road then that's where it's going so you can pick it up move it to the other side of the road Mm -hmm. sort of thing i gotta go i gotta find the article because i got waylaid with you know, actual work. Um, <laughs> I never did go back and finish the article, but something about watch it because it'll go out as far as the middle of the road as it's turning oh. to go back to it, water it, behind it. It doesn't turn on a dime. It's, yeah. It's so like, if you help it across the road, you might be actually hindering it. Yeah. I got to keep doing what you're doing because I got to go, I got to find that article. Yeah. And if anybody knows it, uh, send it our way. Um, but yeah, it's like, that's the rule of thumb is if it's going that way, pick it up, help it across so yeah. it doesn't get schmunched. Friends of mine, they live up on, uh, up near, uh, on Baptiste Lake. It, not Baptiste Lake? Anyways, they Bancroft? Live, yeah, near Bancroft. Anyways, so there's a causeway that goes across, cuts part of the lake off. And uh, I remember, what was it, last fall, we were uh, up walking down that road and we found excavated probably about, a dozen turtle hatcheries. Like you can see the eggs all burst open and, mm-hmm. and you can see where they all dug their way out. And, but it was, I was surprised at how many nests there were. Yeah. Just goes to show how many turtles are out there. Well, there's not all of them survive either. Right? No, of course not. No. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tis the season mm-hmm. as it were. Uh, yeah. Seeing a lot of pictures of people out on the water. Um, a lot of people are doing some local stuff, which is cool because, you know, with all the, in Ontario here, the lockdown thing is, yes, you know, staying in your local area. So mm. seeing a lot of that, seeing some others that are not so local, but, uh, yeah, no, seeing a lot of local people. So nice that our people are getting out there into the, in their boats, out on the water, enjoying, get some exercise. Yes. And, you know, doing the best they can. So pay 20 bucks to park at Ajax. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'll tell you. Come to my house, park in front of my house, throw your boats <laughs> on my truck, 10 bucks, I'll take you down. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's a deal at any price. <laughs> Except one. <laughs> I won't even charge you gas. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're nice, I will let you take me for a beer afterwards. Oh, oh nice. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Speaking of beer. <laughs> yes. You picked one up. What are we drinking here? So this is a red ale. It's Mr. Canoehead. It's a Sleeping Giant Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. So Northern Ontario Brewing. It's uh it's pretty good. It's a so it's a hoppy red ale. It's like a, it has a citrus hop to yeah. it. Yeah, citra hops. It's uh, pretty aromatic good. red ale with uh, will strike you like a lightning bolt without. It's hard to read this. Uh, fusing the canoe to your head, <laughs> Mister Canoe. I remember watching that on the Red Green Show, Mister Canoe Head. Oh, and uh, um, Kids in the Hall did it too. Kids in the, yeah. Did they do it as well? Kids in the Hall. Mr. Canoe Head. I thought that was the Red Green Show. No, it was. I, I'm pretty sure it was Kids in the Hall. Oh, anyway. Guy had a canoe on his head. Yeah. It was there fused by to his head. It was fused yeah. to his head. So, um, good beer though. Yeah. Tundra Bay, Ontario. Yeah. And, oh, Mikey Burns, our buddy Mike down in Windsor Way. He's been doing uh, shoreline cleanup. shoreline cleanup. Now we'd been talking about this for the last while about taking, you know, taking some stock in your own places that you paddle and stuff yeah. like that. And Mike's been going out. I mean, he takes his dog down and go. They go for a walk, and sometimes they go for a paddle on yeah. uh, on the lake and all that. But he's been going to Point Pelee Beach and cleaning up. Yes. So he walks down and he cleans stuff, and he's making piles. Along the beach. And he says he's been Back doing then. this for over a year. Oh, yeah. For the last been, year, he's been doing it. Every this. time he finds something, he puts it into a pile. And, and then, what was it, a week and a half, two weeks ago, he went back and uh, picked up all the piles. Like, yeah. tires and drums and, and but one of the Trash. things. One of the things that, like, you know, there's, of course, there's always tons of water bottles. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised at how many helium balloons he found. Yeah, he cleaned up a whole bunch of them one week. And then when he went back last weekend. Like just a week later. A week later, mm-hmm. he found another 46 of these Mylar, yeah. Yeah. like um, birthday balloons, yeah. and helium filled balloons. Yeah. 46 yeah. in a week he so found. So it just goes to show they do come back down and they go somewhere. Well, you know what? And that's the thing is when you let them go. I mean, yeah, it's going to sometimes, you know, a little kid lets it go. Oops, sure, back whatever. To yeah, but some people do it on purpose. You don't know how far they're going to go. I know, right? right? And I mean, that's the whole thing with the, uh, those little fire lanterns. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. You let those go up and they go way up and that's really cool, but you don't know where they're coming yeah. down. Are they going to land in a Are field land in a farmer's and burn somebody's house down? And, yeah. Right. Know. Um, but these things, you know, they get into the environment, uh, and they have an effect on the environment. So I was looking like, how long does it take for one of these things to deteriorate? Oh. Right. They're not biodegradable. No. Uh, mylar balloons are composed of synthetic nylon and a metallic coating. They are non-biodegradable. They'll be there for... Thousands of years. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, if you look at a uh, pop can or a beer can, like Mike said, in his, he did a little video there. Um, it was like 250 years for a pop can to disintegrate. <laughs> yeah. And you got to think these mylar balloons are at least that long. Well, the, so the UV light, I think, would help break it down, but because of the, the silver coating and stuff, mm-hmm. it's it's going to reflect some of the UV and, and not absorb it. But yeah, it's gonna they're going to be there around for decades. Yeah. the I mean, the rubber balloons, like the, the plasticky rubber balloons that you get, birthday balloons. They degrade pretty know, quick. They're anywhere from six to four, six months to four years. Yeah. Average. Yeah. Right? Depending, I guess, what's in them. Yeah, sort of thing. And, yeah, but these this, things will be there for a couple of hundred years easy. Generations. You know, but 46 of them. And that's just that one beach that he picks. Yeah. Right? I would like to do a big study and launch a bunch of balloons from like say 10 balloons from different areas. Let's see where they go. People have done that. With with you know, little address pieces of papers or something. This lifted off from this location. Yeah. Send a email or yeah. something to saying where you found this. Yeah. Like a message sort of in thing. a bottle. So you can see where mm-hmm. the, the things are going to go. I imagine this has been done. All you got to do is Google it and you're going to find studies about, uh, because this is something that uh, a lot of people are wondering about. And, and I'm sure that there are studies out there to show wind patterns, show where these things end up. It's, uh, I think it's quite reasonable to think that uh, this has been done. 
I know there's wind studies and and things yeah. like that, you know, and the jet stream and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But I wonder if anybody's actually launched like these mylar balloon yeah. things, right? Because they're going to they're gonna drift differently than yeah. a weather balloon mm-hmm. or something like that, right? But uh, yeah, so while we're chatting, you just Google that. I'm going to. <laughs> Derek, the man of Google. <laughs> Google Maps, that's me. Google everything else. <laughs> Uh, the other thing we've been talking about the last couple weeks, uh, the Mississippi speed record. Oh, yes. So, of course, there's the one team, um, uh, do, 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 was it MM0? They, uh, yeah, MM0 on May 10th, they got unofficially, because it still has to be officially recorded and authenticated, all that sort of thing, uh, 2,300 plus miles. 17 days, 20 hours. That's the record. The new one. Yeah. Uh, from the previous mark was in 2003, somebody did it in 18 days, 4 hours, and 51 minutes. Okay. So there is another team called the Mississippi Speed Record. Mm-hmm. They were following. Now, apparently, the two head guys of these teams were supposed to do it together. Oh, and yeah. then when it got called off last year, I guess there was some big infighting argument thing between the two of them and oh, they I didn't know both that. told each other where they could go and what they could do <laughs> to themselves when they got there and all that sort of thing and they decided well we're just going to make our own teams and yeah. that's what they did. Uh, so the first one like I say we we followed that one and apparently they've got the record right now. The other team was coming in pretty close to them. Yes. On a harrowing overnight Thursday Within 150 miles of finishing at the Gulf of Mexico, decision was made. The Mississippi said, all right, you guys, you're done. (laughs) Um, Apparently there was a 30 mile an hour wind gusts and water that swamped the canoe. So they had to abandon their adventure just north of New Orleans. Uh, the rescue boat was there, a houseboat that struggled uh, itself to get everybody safely to shore. He said the team, Miller, uh, Scott Miller, he's a, was the head of the, the team. Uh, he said he was, they were pushing through bad condition for hours in the river channel, jockeying with barge traffic and other anchored obstacles in the heavily industrial part of the river. Because as you know, some of it is pretty industrial. Yes. The barge is going down, can be long as a mile. It can be pretty sketchy. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, when we were down there, Trace and I were down at Nashville way, uh, down through Memphis and all that. And we were watching, we saw some of these barges and they were huge, absolutely huge. Uh, so our margins for error dwindled quickly as water started filling the canoe. The team members disagreed on the best approach in eroding conditions. Paddler Perry Whitaker in the bow finally made the call to the safety vessel. When the paddlers came alongside the boat, they bounced in the waves and struggled to keep the grip on the listing boat in their stricken canoe. They eventually leapt onto the support boat and the canoe was lost. Lost, lost. So they, you know, yeah. It, it swamped with yeah, water swamped. and all that. Yeah. Now, I did see a couple of pictures. And it looks like somebody's found it, found it, it and recovered it. Um, so that that's good, but. He says, the situation was so bad, the support crew and the rescued paddlers settled for refuge on a remote stretch of shore where they had to ride the night out alone. Um, so yeah, it was that bad. The weather, we got that bad. So you're talking over 2,300 miles, 17 days. And as you're getting down to the last day, the last 150 miles. I know, the miles, last leg. That's it. It's one of those things you cannot, you cannot plan for weather, right? That's like somebody seeing the finish line in mm-hmm. a marathon yeah. and twisting their ankle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're so close. You're right there, yeah. So um, even though there's bad blood between the two captains, the one said, you know, it's it's heartbreaking to, to see them that close and, yeah. and not finish, so... So the one of them that was still waiting for authentication. That yeah, they, they, they need certification the record, by Guinness. Yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's too bad. You, you want to see the really competitive down to the wire sort of <laughs> yeah. thing. And 
150 miles. Like he wanted to say kilometers, 150 miles away in and it's scooby doo All the planning and effort that goes into just getting one of these trips off the ground. Yeah. And then to go almost all the way through right to the, almost to the finish line to be, it all to be just turned around because of bad weather. And mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's one of those things. It's uh, sometimes with some of these uh, records, these record attempts, it's, it really comes down to uh, luck with weather. Yeah. Like if. Well, it, even one of the things they were saying for the Guinness, I mean, there's, there's rules that you got to follow, right? Uh, yeah. when it, if you're if you're going for the record and one of them is if the dam is available to be used dike or the uh, the, the, no- the dams the locks the locks, right yeah, the locks you have to use it mm-hmm. right they got stuck behind this tug twice oh so i i'm not sure if they had to wait for the tug to go through and then they could go through or or what the deal yeah. but apparently it held them up quite a bit that's too bad so that added to their time as well. Hmm. And, um, they were, they were making some good time apparently, you know, uh, but Hey, you know what? Things happen. And, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, this, when we did the Brent run, we were doing a great run and then all of a sudden the winds hit. Yeah. And that trashes your, your time right there. Yeah. Uh, well, the last time, uh, Johnny and Grant did the meanest link, they, uh, they did just the two of them. And when they get up to Cedar, Mm-hmm. So they get windbound for almost a full day. Yeah. So they oh, lost cedars, a day of paddling. Cedar can be horrible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely horrible. Hmm. Uh, I'm sure that won't be the last. Uh, yeah, the Scott Miller there, they said, you know, are, are you going to do it again? And he goes, well, I haven't ruled it out. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> they'll do it again. 17 days? Yeah, what are you doing? What else are you doing? Yeah. Ah, let's, let's take a trip yeah. down the old. Mississippi. <laughs> I but got I mean, some yeah. spare time. When you, when you're getting your, your, your support boat and your land support team and, and everything like that. Yeah. You can get some good money into that, right? Yeah. But, oh yeah. 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 It's all the effort all the time. The, there's a lot of expenses, a lot of the support teams, everybody has to come together on a schedule and it's, uh, to put all that effort into it just to have, have a bad weather event ruin the right whole thing. Right at the end. Yeah. Sprained an ankle. Yeah. <laughs> ah, feel bad for them. Feel bad for them. Yeah. Northern, what do you think of when you see or hear Saskatchewan? Well, until we started looking into it, I was just thinking, yes, you know, I've driven through Saskatchewan probably about four or five times. And uh, it was, uh, it's just straight as an arrow. It's flat. It's like, you don't really see much. Occasionally you come across this little town and it, there's not really much to see there. And great, great views with blue skies oh, yeah, yeah. and everything during yeah. this, especially, you know, summer, July and that when they get the, the wheats growing and all mm-hmm. that and the bright blue skies and yeah, you're thinking of flat prairies, right? Yeah. I drove through it. I live there, dude. <laughs> 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 drove through luxury. <laughs> Northern Saskatchewan, however, because you, and that's not something you really think about. Is when you get northern Saskatchewan, northern Alberta, northern Manitoba. When you look at the northern border of Saskatchewan, it is equivalent to the middle of Hudson Bay. Yes. If you, if you look at a Google map. So it's not like there's a wall that when you hit the border and head into the Northwest Territories, that all of a sudden it changes geography. Mm-hmm. You know, from flat, flat, flat to, oh, look. Yeah, it's gradual. You know, it, it's, it's the it's the Northwest Territory, Northern Canada canoe tripping area. Yes, right? yes, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it does happen farther south into the northern sections of Saskatchewan. But you don't think about that. You think you're going northern, then you're going into the Yukon, the Northwest Territories, you're going into none of it. There is a fella, Rick Driediger. He wrote a book called Paddling Northern Saskatchewan, A Guide to 80 Canoe Routes. Now, when you Google map <laughs> Northern Saskatchewan and you look at it, there's a lot of water. And some, I mean, Lake Athabasca, <clears throat> Reindeer Lake, Wollaston Lake, Cree Lake, those are some big bodies of water yes. up there. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of small rivers as well. 
And there is a point where Northwest Territories, Saskatchewan, Nunavut, and Manitoba all meet. All it's four the four corners. corners. Yeah. If you do Google Maps and you zoom in, there's actually a little one of the, it's like a blue circle with a a little castle. It looks yeah. like it looks like the what is the, a rook. the rook from chess? Yeah. Uh in one of those blue circles and you click on that it'll show you a picture. It's a 3 foot tall little stainless steel obelisk yeah. thing with the four provinces and territories written on each side. On each side. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. That'd be a cool place to go. It would. Right? Um, so, this Rick Dreidegger has been canoe tripping guide since the 70s. He's up in Missinippi, Saskatchewan at Churchill River Canoe Outfitters. And they say, there's likely no one that knows the canoe routes of northern Saskatchewan better than Rick. And he thought that information needed to be written down. Good for him. Right? Which is really cool because, I mean, here in Ontario, we're always, the last, I would say five years, has all been about lost canoe routes mm -hmm. through Ontario. Yep. People yep. rediscovering these lost canoe routes that are, you know, hundreds of years old sort of thing and haven't been used in, in that amount of time. So people are now rediscovering them. So if he's got all this knowledge... You don't want it to become lost. No, true. And th right? that's where you, once you, it, it, word of mouth, you, stuff gets lost, right? It, mm -hmm. Over the years, over lifetimes, it's, it's a lot of stuff gets lost. So it's it's nice that somebody is taking the time to put it down on paper so that, you know, this this living knowledge is, is preserved for next generations. Well, there's 80 different canoe routes in this book. That's what it came out to. He wasn't going to write this book to begin with, but he says... This is the book I needed to write. I had to write this book of canoe routes first because I felt this information should not be lost. He's apparently a really good storyteller and he tells stories about trips he's been on. And, and that was the book he was going to write to begin with. Mm -hmm. You know, like 35 years of canoe trip stories. But this is the one he wrote first. Uh, more than 100 maps in this book. Oh, wow. And like I said, if you just... Go into the Google Maps and look at northern Saskatchewan. Yeah. You can see the amount of places that you could go. It's incredible. I've been, since we started talking about it, I've been like living on Google Maps here, looking at all the northern communities and northern mines. And yeah, there was a lot of mining up there. Yeah. Oh, a ton of it. And there's still, there's still active mines up there, but uh, some of these old mines are all shut down and, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, uh, you know, cleaning them up now and very expensive. But it's uh it's pretty amazing. Like on Lake Athabasca, it's that would be a like the sand the Athabasca Sand Dunes Provincial Park. Oh, that looks cool, eh? I want to go there. It's just a massive like these massive sand dunes. Yeah. For like I don't know how many miles. Yep. Yeah. It's huge. Um. So the this book they in the you read the I think it was on Chapters Indigo site. Northern Saskatchewan has a wide variety of canoeing experiences from paddling lake to lake in the Precambrian Shield to steering the rapids of a whitewater river. It has both mountainous canyons and Caribbean-like beaches. You can paddle through marshland or past sand dunes. Paddling Northern Saskatchewan provides a descriptive overview of 80 different canoe routes, rivers, and canoeing areas to help you understand the experience of paddling in Northern Saskatchewan. That's not your typical prairies. No. Right? So, <laughs> but how many people think, where are you going on your holidays? Oh, I'm going on a canoe trip. Oh, where are you going? Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. <laughs> no, you're not. Yes, we are. It would uh, be cool. I'm, I'm ordering this book because yeah. I want to see it. Uh, I mean, I used to live out in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, right? And actually, that's where he he's from, was Yorkton, Saskatchewan okay. too. So that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, he's in the 70s now. But this book just came out in the uh, in 1920 in 2020. Um, so yeah, I'm going to order this book and take a peek at at it, and uh, maybe instead of going to the Yukon or something, uh, this might be a bit closer, <laughs> a bit cheaper. Yeah, go find that. It will be a lot easier. Go find that Four Corners. There you go. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Because I've I've seen a picture of it, and there's water near it. So it might just be a camp for the day, hike on up, hike back, and then stay overnight somewhere sort of thing. But you're near water, so. 
Uh, and yeah, you can say you paddled in all four provinces and territories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could do, you can make an afternoon of it. Yeah. I paddled four provinces I and territories. It. I walked <laughs> it in an afternoon. <laughs> uh, paddling Northern Saskatchewan, a guide to 80 canoe routes by Rick Dreidiger. Um, D-R-I-E-D-I-G-E-R. Available through Churchill River Canoe Outfitters. You got to email them and ask for it. I went on their page to look. Yeah. You can't actually order it from the page. You got to contact, contact them. them and say, hey. Um, chapters and Amazon. He says, of course, it's best to buy it directly through Churchill River Canoe Outfitters. Then you get a signed copy. Oh. Uh, hmm. There you go. Or you just buy one through the other one and you go up there and you say, hey, I bought your book. Sign it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is cool, but yeah, there's there's some really prime looking. I mean, if you're talking about going to the Northwest Territories, yeah, you know the Southern Territories look exactly like Northern Saskatchewan. It sort of blends in, right? <laughs> but yeah, Lake Athabasca that's huge. Uh, Reindeer Lake, right on the you know what Reindeer Lake is just below the Four Corners, and it splits between. Manitoba and Saskatchewan. That's huge. Tons of islands on the Saskatchewan side. Yeah. Like you could explore till your heart is content. And I bet you there's massively good fishing up there too. How do you get up there? You'd have to float plane it. Yeah, probably. Because there's I mean, no roads. you can roads. only drive so far. Yeah, there's no, no roads up that yeah. northern area. Well, they offer different services for outfitting and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I've, some of the pictures I saw of Churchill uh, outfit... Uh, Outfitters there, uh, Churchill River Canoe Outfitters, they did have a, a float plane. So they must fly people in and yeah. fly people up. Yeah, that's an awful long paddle down. <laughs> 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 so check that out. I think uh, people would be quite cool to go up there. It is. Yeah. So there's a couple of roads that get mostly up there, but not quite the northern edge. You can't get up to, you'd have to fly into Lake Athabasca. And uh, there's a road that almost goes right to Lake Athabasca. That's 955 North. And it uh, you're still 100 kilometers south of Lake Athabasca. Hmm. When there's logging roads or something. There would be. Like Fort Mac gets you almost all the way there. See? We can figure it out. <laughs> we'll buy the book and see what he says. Oh, there is some roads from Fort Mac. You can get right up to Lake Athabasca. That's going to be a rough road. Yeah. Well, we'll just fly it. <laughs> well, look, you can drive right up to the dunes. So I think we need to put together a giant trip, get a lot of people. Let's do it. And we'll all head up to northern Saskatchewan. What river is that? I don't know. Anyway, take a peek. Keep Googling. Because, you know. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break here. And we come back. Uh, we're going to talk about one province over Manitoba. There we go. Things are going on there right now, too. We'll be right back after this. Hey, this is Sean Rowley, and you're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. To find out more about us, check out our website, paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Current and past episodes of our podcast can be downloaded or streamed from iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page of our website. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, we would love to hear from you. So drop us a line on Facebook or our website. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. Um, yeah, we were, during our break here, we were Googling quite a bit on that uh, <laughs> yes. northern Saskatchewan, got, <laughs> got waylaid and sidetracked and down some rabbit holes and... Yeah, planning a northern trip. Yeah. See, it's not hard. No, it's and getting it's this, waylaid like that. No, and this uh, actual this trip is actually realistic. It's uh, it's not an unreasonable 
stretched. Like Banks Island is difficult because of the logistics of getting logistics, to. Yeah. yeah. So because you have to charter an, an entire aircraft, you can't get up there on a, on a normal float plane. So you're going to have to charter a larger airplane. And so it's going to be, what what is it? The, uh, I think it was like 10 grand a person or something like something that. Something like that, yeah. 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 And you might be able to um, fly in when they're heading up to pick somebody up sort yeah. of deal. So lower, lower some of your costs. That would, yeah. like cost share with a group coming out. Exactly. Sort of thing. And oh, yeah. But still. When you're looking at ten grand a person for for a week, <laughs> it's yeah. a little ridiculous. Yeah, you know what? Ten grand. I'm going to be spending more than just a week up there. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm going up there for a month. I'm paddling. I'm paddling back. I'm paddling back. I'm paddling. <laughs> I'm covering that island. I'm yeah. walking. I'm hiking. You know, I'm going to go wrestle a couple of Arctic wolves and a and a muskox and some cage match <laughs> when I'm spending that kind of money, making it worth my while. But yes, Saskatchewan is northern Saskatchewan seems uh, pretty cool uh, paddling. So we've ordered the book. <laughs> yes, we did. We did order the book. So while on commercial, we also ordered the book, and uh, so we'll see what happens when that uh, shows up. Manitoba, one province to the left or right? Yes, east. Yeah, east. Um, it's only May. Yeah. Yeah. About a week and a half ago, northern Manitoba from Ontario border to the Saskatchewan border was under a fire ban. Uh, and as well, backcountry was closed to ATVs, hiking, and boats. And so you couldn't go backcountry. Everything was shut down because of forest fires. They're in the middle of a bit of a drought right now. And this is only May, mid-May at this point. Did you say how many active fires there are? Um, at that time they didn't say, but now, uh, it says the unseasonably dry fall and spring, perfect conditions, that sort of stuff. 24 active fires last week. Huh. Right. So I'm sure it's jumped by now. One fire was already 2000 hectares. Another one was 3,500 hectares and listed as out of control already. Yeah, I know. It, it reminds me of, uh, the Fort Mac fires two years ago and it was early spring. It was a very dry winter and, uh, there was high winds that blew the fires really quickly across the, uh, across the, what, what do you call it? Tundra? It's the Northern forest and stuff like that. So things burnt really quick. Yeah. And that's what's happening in uh, Manitoba now. And it's, that's going to shut down all the canoe tripping and yep. everything up there. Yep. It's yep. all, yeah, all shut down. Um, you cannot afford to have a fire up there. Now they're saying this week, uh, there's low pressure zones and it's much cooler temperatures and maybe even snowfall across Northern Manitoba is expected. And there's some heavy downpours coming maybe, but they're also saying gusty Northwest winds of up to 70 kilometers an hour. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get those big winds coming up, that just fans the flames. So hopefully they get enough rain to dampen everything that that the fires don't get out of control with the big winds. Yeah. But my big thing is, is this going to a hint at what's in store even for Northern Ontario this year? I know, right? Which yeah. is a couple of years ago, we even had uh, trips yep. canceled because you weren't allowed to go in because of forest fire danger. Yeah. Right? So is that what we're, I mean, it's... it's it's hard enough to get into the back country this year. Everything's hard. Yeah. You with, throw in possibilities of forest fires. Yeah. Um, there's actually, is it Hardy Lake Provincial Park in Ontario? Where's that? Not sure. I, I saw Hardy Lake already has a forest fire. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, apparently caused by somebody. So it's not lightning, it's... No, apparently somebody with a stove or a campfire or... Yeah, people-related. Uh, you know, so, yeah. That's in Muskoka if, Lakes. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Muskoka. Um, so they've got a fire there already. Now, if they've already got this in Manitoba and it's starting to get warmer here, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. 
it's really becoming more and more evident the uh, the effects of uh, of climate change, right? It's we're we're seeing it more and more. Like, man, I, it's it's been years since I've had to really make any effort to shovel my driveway for snow, right? Yeah. So we're hardly getting any snow, and if it comes down, it comes down as rain, or it just doesn't snow at all. It's uh, it's quite we're seeing quite the differences, right? We definitely are. Uh, and like they were saying here, the, the dry falls and springs aren't helping. Yeah. Um, Lake now, levels I, are down in Ontario across the province. Yep. Now, you know what? Like on the other side of it, when you get lightning strikes, natural forest fires and stuff like that is one thing. It's when the people, careless people it's are, when somebody's being are doing it. Yeah. Uh, now, have, you've paddled through forest fire areas, yes? Uh, not recently, recent forest fires. I've been up in, uh, north of Sudbury and, uh, where it's just basically, uh, a birch forest because birch trees come back some of the, some of the quickest after falling mm-hmm. a forest fire. So, you know, you go through and you can see where everything's been, you know, kind of all the trees are gone and there's just kind of few scrabbly, you know, birch trees trying to grow and, it's, um, you can see the damage that is done. Just the, the forests are just cleared right out. Yeah. Well, I've been to a couple through some areas there on trips and up in the boreal forests and stuff. And, um, yeah, just the devastation. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, after a few years after the fire, everything's starting to come up again and, yes, and whatnot. Yeah. It does look cool. It is a rebirth thing and all that. But, um, if you're out there this summer when we are, are allowed to get out into the back country and stuff. It's, you know, we don't need a repeat of the last couple of years ago when everything got shut down because of the forest fires and trips were canceled and yeah. stuff. So be careful out there, mind your fires, make sure everything is absolutely out. Um, you know, a couple buckets of water on your, yeah. on your fire pit and dig the water through, make sure there's no hot coals underneath. Uh, read up on your fire safety, you know, it's, it's, it's the best we can do, so. Hopefully uh, Manitoba gets uh, through this quickly and uh, everybody can get back to doing what they like. Get out on that water, people. Mm-hmm. You, Derek, were reading an article and you sent me this article about bad dog owners. Now, we were we, we lost our dog a couple of years ago when we started taking a break and uh, contemplating getting another canoe dog. Um... Haven't yet, might not, might. It'll be a spur of the moment thing. But one of the things that we always try to do is make sure our dog was socialized and stayed with us when we were canoeing. Yeah. Now, the big thing right now with COVID that they're noticing um, pet adoptions are through the roof. They're absolutely through the roof. Uh, there were, uh, where that say here? The, since the pandemic began, breeders, shelters, and rescues have seen an unprecedented demand for puppy adoptions. According to the American Pet Products Association, 12.6 million households brought home a pet between March and December of 2020. Yeah. Now this is, these are American numbers. Yeah. And that's still huge. Yes. So you're, you're going to see a percentage wise uh, equivalent number for Canada. And, and so it's people who, you know, a lot of people because of, uh, you know, being locked down and physical distancing and stuff like that, a lot of people are finding themselves that are lonely. They need companionship and, and in the absence of a human, you, you adopt a dog or a cat or, or whatever. And so they're seeing this unprecedented level of adoptions for, uh, in households, right? Well, even we tried to get a dog and at one point we're yeah. looking at adoption there mm-hmm. and, um, just the number of people like trying to, f- you, you can't, they're, yeah. ju- they're just gone yeah. so fast. You know, somebody will post, Hey, this dog's up for adoption. And you, you look and there's like 36,000 comments. <gasps> oh, I'd love this dog. Hey, can we get this dog? Yeah. What do I got to yeah. do to get this dog? And Hey, is this still available? And yeah. like, Oh my God, like that's ridiculous. <laughs> so there was this article in, in outside magazine called bad dog owner. And basically the author starts by recounting an incident that happened when she was hiking with some friends and their dogs. 
said a long-eared jackrabbit ran out. Two dogs bolted in maniacal pursuit. The friends yelled at the dogs to stop, but they didn't listen. They chased the hare for 100 yards, eventually around a corner out of sight. And it took a while for them to return, but they did not come back with a dead rabbit. Uh, my friends laughed as if agreeing that all's well, it ends well. Dogs will be dogs, and we kept walking. That is a big issue. It and is even a- she goes on. That That is sort of what spurred her on to, uh, you know what? I used to have a dog. And she used to have, uh, well, she's, she's saying she used to have a... A Skyler, an 85-pound white wolf shepherd mix. Yeah. And take her backcountry skiing, paddleboarding up the river while she ran along the bank. And it wasn't long before I started taking her on runs and hikes of my own. With big teeth and pointy ears, Skyler probably appeared scarier than most dogs. It bothered me that she would run after wildlife, stand smack in the middle of the trail while someone was trying to run or bike by. Now there's a trainer and owner of a canine training center saying, I see lots of dogs not being well socialized. And that's the biggest thing is they don't know how to be alone. They're afraid of new things. People aren't traveling. They aren't taking their dogs downtown to the store. There's been a huge surge in these number of dogs on on public land. But people are not realizing, um, actually, she says, uh, ripple effects Mm -hmm. of not training your dogs properly. Exactly. And this becomes quite apparent uh, when we're in the middle of a canoe trip. Okay. Right? Uh, you're, you're in the middle of a canoe trip, you got your dog, you're doing portages, and you're meeting up with people, right? Yeah. Uh, your dog's on your campsite in the backcountry. You know, it's not, it's not like all willy-nilly free game, let your dog just, you know, run through the woods for the next 10 kilometers and... Yeah, you, you, well, there's the risk of actually losing your dog. Yeah. Uh, but there's also the risk that uh, the dog's going to be running around and, and terrorizing the wildlife in the nearby vicinity. There's, uh, you know, the dog could, you know, become injured if it's not controlled. And it's it's just one of those things. It's uh, it, If you take the time to properly train your dog so that they can be trusted on, on a portage, they're not going to be tripping people up. They're not going to be attacking other dogs on portages and stuff like that. They're not going to block anything. You, you want to you want to respond you want to be a responsible dog owner and have a responsible dog it mm-hmm. uh, otherwise you're gonna you know a lot of people are you know there's way too many dog owners that are oblivious to the world around them and uh you know i don't know how many times i've come along walking along a trail or, or whatever and it's like so the dog owner took the trouble to pick up the dog poop but left the bag on the side of the trail it's like well yeah. It, it, it's, that's kind of defeating the purpose. Or portages, you're walking down and it's on the side, no bag, no yeah, nothing. They crap just right there on the portage. Let, let the dog go. Yeah. Right? Um, lack of obedience stresses out other owners and their dogs. Absolutely. Uh, she said, it proves vexing and occasionally fatal to wildlife. She says, I was not taking into account that some people have very different cultural relationship with dogs. Many people are afraid of dogs because of past experiences. They simply don't love them as much as I do. I should have been more considerate and taken more responsibility. How many times do you hear, oh, my dog's friendly? Yeah. Well, the the big thing is, okay, it doesn't matter. I don't like dogs or mm-hmm. I'm afraid of dogs or yeah. my dog, yeah, isn't friendly. Exactly. So you're about to lose mm-hmm. your dog sort of thing, right? Yeah. And if you have a dog that's all friendly and wants to run up and sniff another dog, the other dog sees that running dog and sees it as a aggressive posture. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. that your dog is a nice dog. The other dog perceives a threat. Yes. Uh, if everyone were as oblivious as I was, the dog ownership keeps, keeps rising. Things would become unworkable quickly, which is true because now you've got all these extra dogs out there yeah. and people are just, oh, I'll get a dog because, you know, I'm working from home now. Yeah. Uh, a companion dog, but the dog gets out there, doesn't know, oh, look at all these other people yeah. and, and dogs. Yeah. With so many new puppies around, now is the time to change dog culture. We should collectively deem it sociably unacceptable to let dogs chase wildlife, rush up to strangers, jump on people and bark at passersby. It's actually not bad dog behavior. It's negligent human behavior. Exactly. Which is exactly what it what mm-hmm. it is. And that's the whole, you know, the pit bull thing. The pit bulls aren't mean. It's the people that have taught them 
to be that way. Yep. Right. There's a certified trainer that says the trail etiquette etiquette among humans, and we need to have trail etiquette with dogs as well. And there's a lot of of it um, where she lives, and she this this trainer believes if you don't have a recall that's 99% solid in all situations, your dog shouldn't be off leash. Correct. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and that's going up and down portage trails. If you're at a put in a takeout. Um, if you're at your campsite, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, if your dog's not going to come when you call, yeah, shouldn't be off a leash. Precisely. You know, or yeah. I mean, if you're at your campsite, you, I mean, we had our old dog, not, not hunt, uh, Hunter, but our old one before that. And when if we were at a site, we had a long rope for Yeah. Because we know she loved on. to run yeah. in the woods mm-hmm. and I don't know if she'd come back. I did the same thing with, uh, with my beagle. I had a 30 foot long rope that the beagle always towed everywhere he went. Mm-hmm. Just because he would start to take off, you could jump on the rope and stop him from getting away. And yeah. he's not exactly on a leash, but he's on a 30 foot rope. Yeah. Uh, wildlife takes precedence. This is their land. It's also a safety thing for dogs. If they run into a moose and her baby, it could kill them. Yeah. Right. Or just cause stress. Like, you know, it's, you know, wild animals' lives are, are pretty rough and tough sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So the last thing they need is any extra stresses. And, and you know, it, you if you call, you spook a rabbit or whatever, it maybe it's, it's going to be a little bit weaker. It's, it's maybe it was uh, already borderline for being able to get its own food. And, and maybe the dog chasing it is just going to be that one stressor that puts it just over the limit. Well, and they say... Um even the smell of your dog long after it's gone. Yes. Well, you know, con- animals stress. will smell it. Yeah. Right. It'll cause stress. Maybe they'll have to start detouring off their regular paths because they've smelled yeah. some dog going down their path. Whatever. I, I don't know the mm-hmm. the full, but they, they say that's pretty much what happens. Yeah. Uh, so they go on and say, you don't need an advanced degree to train your dog. With a moderate level of effort and know-how, you can... Have a canine that is more fun to be around for everyone. And there's six tips to help you get there. So they give six tips on getting your dog ready and what you should be doing to train your dog to be um, like portage. um, Give it portage etiquette for lack of a better term. Understand your dog. And this is when that with our, our first dog, we really noticed Observe and listen. Dogs have physical, social, mental needs. They communicate with their behaviors and body language. Pay attention and you'll start to understand what your dog is feeling and why are they making certain choices. And that's just like a kid too. Oh yeah. Sometimes simply taking care of the unmet needs, such as vigorous exercise, can help with behavior challenges. Like if, if we got really busy and the dog wasn't getting all his walks, he would start to act up. Yeah. Then once he started getting all those walks again, totally changed calm behavior again. Mm-hmm. You know, not barking at every noise outside the house or, or everything. So you really got to watch your animal. Absolutely. Socialize your dog. And this is huge. In my books, this is huge. The golden socialization period for puppies lasts between three and 15 weeks of age. Uh, during this time, their minds are like sponges. They're learning how to interact with the world. What is safe? What is scary? Use this time to introduce them to lots of new things and give them positive associations. So anytime you can give your dog a positive association with a new experience, like a skateboarder rushing by, oh, um, yeah, yeah. you know, give them things uh, like as a treat or petting or, or happy talk. Exposure to other dogs. Yeah. Right. Um, well, and yeah, even, you know, um, hanging around the canoe launch area. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the dogs are getting comfortable knowing there's going to be people there walking up and down a portage. I mean, you could train them at a, a, a local hiking trail, you know, conservation area, going up and down the trails, keeping your dog close and getting noticed. Oh yeah, other dogs and people are coming both ways and stuff like that. Master the basics. For anyone who plans to take their dogs on trails and outdoors, mastering a minimum of three basic commands with your dog. Come, leave it, and stay. It's all suggested to teach them how not to pull on a leash. Oh, yeah. We used the halty method with that, uh, with Hunter, because Hunter was, I mean, he was hound dog, right? So his nose was always to the ground, um, sniffing things. He didn't, 
when he got that nose going, he wasn't necessarily paying attention to <laughs> his you. His eyes stopped working. But the halty yeah. goes around his nose. So when you give it a little pull, it faces, makes him face you. Oh, okay. So you can make eye contact when you tell him, oh, sorry, I was looking at that squirrel over there. Sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Mm-hmm. What was that again? <laughs> you know, and then when he, eventually he starts to, you know, you can train him that way. Um, and he's not, yeah, when he sees that squirrel, he's not going to rip that arm of yours off. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, um, come, stay, leave it. I think those were the ones we actually used with Hunter. Yeah. Come here, you know. Drop. We've all, we also did when the least free areas, we'd go through some of the, the trails and we would train our dogs that they had to stay within sight. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you give them a, you know, like 10, 15 feet, 20 feet up, you know, and if you're going around a bend, you just go, can't see you and then, come back oh. sort of thing. Right. Yep. yep. Um, but Hunter as well, he would take the opportunity into the bushes, <laughs> then somewhere yeah. up front, you see him cross the trail into the bushes on the other side. <laughs> but then when you call, he come ripping back. Yeah. Right. You got to have that recall. Yes. Because if you don't, then your dog could be doing anything. You've, you've lost control. Yes. Over that dog. And that's not healthy for your dog or whoever or whatever your dog encounters. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if you see a moose up there that your dog hasn't seen yet. You got to get him to recall. And you call that dog back and he comes right back to you, slap that leash on if it's not on already yep. or grab the trailing rope. Mm-hmm. So that when the dog finally does see that moose, you know, yeah. hopefully everybody stays safe. Well, I've heard so many stories about, uh, horror stories about that is where, you know, the dog will encounter a moose or a bear and, and the dog will get the animal riled up and then the animal will go to attack the dog. Next thing you know, the dog's hightailing it back to you mm. with a bear or a moose chasing it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, thanks for bringing the bear back to me That's there, buddy. The big one is the, yeah. they go and nip at the bear and the bear chases them back to yep. camp. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, find an online program. You can train many dogs on your own if you have the time and interest and online resources abound. The great courses, for example, Dog Training 101 online course. Uh, there's a great free content on YouTube as well. So if you want to train the dog and you've got the time and interest to do it, there's lots of online resources for you to do. Uh, if not, hire a trainer. If your dog is aggressive towards other dogs and humans, or if you don't have time or interest to train the dog yourself, you will need to hire a trainer. You can't take an aggressive dog into the back country. No. That's no, not a good sign for mistake. anybody. That's, yeah. you know, I mean, right up and if, if you got that dog trained in the canoe and you're paddling along and it sees something it doesn't like, it's going after it. Yep. And you can't, you can't have that. You can't have, you know, see something on your portage trail and it's gone attacking something. Mm. Or like you say, all of a sudden it realizes it can't eat the bear. Yep. And bear comes back. Yeah, a so, bear or your dog gets into a porcupine and mm-hmm. there's so many number of things that, that could just cause problems with your trip if you don't have control of your animal. Um, the sixth and final one, and this is what I've been saying since this began. Prepare your dog for post-pandemic life now. Yes. Right? My big thing is I've said when things go semi-back to normal and people start heading back to the offices... Suddenly that dog. Suddenly all these yeah. animals are heading back to the pound. Either the pound right? or, or, you know, the dog is used to having somebody around 24 hours a day. Then all of a sudden somebody's missing for eight or 10 hours a day and they're mm-hmm. alone for eight or 10 hours a day. So you're going to have to prepare by going, if you're going back to work after a long period of time, your dog might need a dog walker. Uh, when life is going to change a lot for dogs, possibly abruptly. Separation anxiety will be huge issues for many pets. This will be a big thing is. If you want to leave your dog at camp and just go down the lake and do some fishing. Yeah. Within view, your dog's going to barking and howling. Yeah. It's going to be stressed. It's going to be stressed I'm alone. Out. I've been abandoned. And then you're, even though you're within view, if you're, you know, you're a hundred feet offshore, just casting a line. Yeah. You can see the dog. You, dog can see you. It's got that separation anxiety. No one's having fun at that point. Nope. You're not having fun. The dog's not having fun. Uh, so yeah, there's that separation anxiety. You got to deal with ASAP. Start customizing your dog to future changes in lifestyle. 
if you think one day, take your dog to the coffee shop, breweries, other public spaces, introduce them to similar areas. Uh, now they won't be so shocked by all the activity. If you plan to leave your pet alone for many hours at some point, let them get used to being alone for longer periods now and consider setting up a relationship with a local dog walker, like you said. Um, once things get lifted and yeah, you know what? If you if you go to the house for an hour and then come back and the dogs get used to the hour, then a couple of hours, then a few hours, make it longer until eventually the dog's used to it. Start doing that now because if all of a sudden things change and your employer says, hey, come on back. Yeah, exactly. The dog's already trained. He's not going to have that, hopefully, not going to have that separation anxiety. And when you go into the back country, things are going to be a lot smoother. Um, realistically, train your dog can include how to be comfortable in a canoe. You know, uh, if you're getting the dog, you got to train them to be comfortable. Because if they're trying to get out all the time. Yes, they have to be comfortable with staying in the canoe when they're supposed to stay in the canoe and be able to order them to get out of the canoe when you want them out of the yep. canoe. They, they have to, you know, it was, uh, I've been on a few trips with Mike Burns and and Willow is just, she's she's a really good water dog. She's yeah. uh, She stays in the canoe. She, she'll flip side to side occasionally to take a look at one bank or the other if you're doing on a river. So you can feel the canoe shift a bit, but but she uh, she listens and she stays. Yeah. So she's well, good. even Mike, he says in canoe, yes. out canoe. Yeah. Right. Specific orders. Yep. Teach your dog etiquette on portages, you know, so to stay near you. Uh, some people have the leash dragging that they can step on yeah. or the rope, I should say. Uh, some people have it tied to the waist, yep. that sort of thing. Um, they've got to be socialized. They got to be used to traveling on the trail. You know, you're, if you have a pack on and, and a canoe, you're not going to be able just to handle that dog at a moment's notice. Mm -hmm. Somebody comes over a rise with a canoe and a pack on and a little kid and your dog sitting right there. You've got to be able to call your dog right to your side because that little kid is all of a sudden screaming because they see a dog, you know, they've got to deal with that. Mm -hmm. But at least if they see you've got your dog under control, hopefully they'll help out. Exactly. Uh, And again, teach a dog how to stay in or close to camp when in the back country. Uh, it's nothing like going through middle of a camp, you know, pulling up to a nice campsite at the end of a d- day and you're setting up your tent and you realize there's dog crap everywhere. <laughs> Clean up after your exactly. dog. Exactly. And one thing that's important too, we have mentioned is, uh, dogs, sure, dogs are not, can be natural swimmers and so on, but if they get a snoot full of water, things, they could panic. So it's very smart, very wise to get your dog an appropriate life jacket. Yes. An appropriate life jacket. The life jacket can have a hook so you can attach a leash to the life jacket itself. And then you'll switch to the collar if you take the life jacket off around camp. But a dog should have a life jacket, a properly fitted life jacket to keep them safe. If they go in the water, if it's cold water, or if there's a sudden overturn and, you know, the dog becomes startled and panicked and stuff like that, then like I've 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 seen it myself. I've had my dogs do it where a dog gets in the water, gets panicked and tries to climb up on top of you and ends up trying to push you under. He's not trying to push you under, but he's trying to get out of the water by climbing mm-hmm. up on your head. So it's one of those things. If you, you have to acclimate your dog to being in the canoe, being in the water, they have to be comfortable with the water. If your dog is not comfortable in a canoe or in the water, then Obviously, maybe you shouldn't be taking them that backcountry camping. And uh, you got to be able to control them if you're doing front country camping, right? So the dog has to be safe in all situations. We had uh, the jacket for Hunter, uh, the PFD for him. It actually had two handles on it. Yeah. So if he did get out, we could grab the two handles mm-hmm. and lift them. Try to lift them anyway. Yeah. He was a 90 pound dog. Mm-hmm. But at least you could hold them up. Yeah. Out of the water, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, trying to lift them into the canoe yeah. is, ugh. uh, the other thing, if you're going back country, get your dog his own backpack. Absolutely. So you're not having yeah. to carry his stuff. Willow has her own backpack. She yeah. carries all her own Bunch food. Bunch of freeloading dogs. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Willow carries all of her own stuff. Yeah. Hunter had a backpack. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so those are things you should know about your dog. Uh, train him properly. It's a uh, bad human behavior, not bad dog behavior. Exactly. You got to treat him the etiquette for the backcountry. And uh, if you don't have time to do it, then by all means hire somebody to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
or pass them off to somebody that does do that sort of thing that you know a friend that would take the time. I know a couple of people that do that sort of thing. Say, yeah, yeah, I want a dog, but I'll train your dog. Yeah. Gives me some company and stuff like that. But yeah, the, the separation anxiety thing's huge. Because if, like I say, if you're, if they're in camp and they can see you out yep. offshore fishing, mm-hmm. guess who's going swimming? <laughs> you know, yeah. at, at some point they're going to stop barking and howling and they're coming in after yeah. you. So, um, that's all I've got this week. Yeah. That's all I've got. Anything else? Nothing? Nope. Ah, awesome. If you want to find more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Download or stream our episodes at iTunes, Apple Podcasts. iTunes and Apple Podcasts have been having some issues the last couple of weeks. Have they? I've yeah. noticed. Uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM, and all your favorite uh, podcast download- downloading sites. Uh, iHeartRadio as well. Or go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com uh, and listen to all our episodes. And while you're there, if you want some of our uh, PAR gear... There's a big merch button you can hit and it'll take it right to our store. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with all your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Dirk Specht. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.